center and coming in is Loom. Hewitt-Dyke centered it. Talk with Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, let's get another week going. It is Monday, February 12th, and this hour of Flames Talk is underway. It's Steinberg along with you. And look who's back with us this week, Wes Gilbertson of Post Media as well. Hello, Wes. How are you, my friend? Good, man. Welcome back. Good to be back. Welcome to the Sports Drive, brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution. We're coming at you from our Doug Lacey's Basement Systems downtown studio. We're available on Apple, Spotify, Google, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. And on this Monday, let's go inside hockey and uh, talk about one of the hottest topics around the Flames right now, and that's Jacob Markstrom. Inside hockey for Calgary Co-op. It's that time to stock up for the celebrations that matter with ingredients that help make memories. Visit Calgary Co-op where life's in store. And uh, West Jacob Markstrom front and center once again for a few different reasons. We'll start with the obvious reason, and that's Elliot Friedman's report from Saturday headlines over the weekend that the Flames and Devils had serious conversations about Markstrom recently, which I I don't know if that is a huge surprise because I know that I've heard for quite some time that the Devils have been pretty hot and heavy on Markstrom and have been, you know, kind of continuously inquiring as to whether or not this is a possibility, but to hear the term serious talks from the, the best in the business from the gold standard, like to hear that from Ellie, you're like, okay, that's, that's a next step from what I'd been hearing. I know you've been, you, you've heard similar things over the last number of months about how interested New, New Jersey was in this particular player. Yeah. It sort of has been feeling for months now. Like if, somebody was going to make a, a serious overture about Jacob Marsham's availability, it was probably going to be the New Jersey Devils first. And I think that's what we've both been hearing. And to your point, Elliot sort of takes it to another level or, or confirms that not only were there talks, but uh, it doesn't sound like just a, hey, how you doing? And so... Yeah, back in the spotlight, right? We're yep. going to be talking about Jacob Markstrom one way or the other right up until the March 8th deadline. So I get I like I I get the um I get the 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 fervor that surrounds him and I get the faction of Flames fans who feel like moving this guy is the way to go, sell high, it helps uh helps for the future. I know for many, they believe it also helps the team get a better draft pick this year because, look, I don't think it's even close anymore. And when we midway through the season asked who the MVP was, you could have made the argument for a lot of guys. I I don't think it's close anymore. Jacob Markstrom is it. He has been dynamite this year. And that's why prying him away from the Flames is going to and should cost a lot. And I think part of what makes this so difficult to see happen between now and March 8th is the difficulty in the past that we've seen of goalies getting up to speed with a new team in and around the trade deadline because there's so little time left. I thought Kevin Woodley did a great job of breaking it down last week when he basically said, 
you go from a team that you're comfortable with systems, you know, and, and the way that your defensemen defend, the way that you break out, the way that they defend a two-on-one rush, the way that they defend cross-seam passes, all that type of stuff that is kind of the really subtle stuff for us on the outside that don't understand goaltenders at a high level. But the people who play the position, these are some of the most important things, and, and it's why people rave about Dustin Wolf's IQ and other goalies' IQ because that ability to read the play, read what's going to happen and be comfortable with the way that your team in front of you is going to defend is such a huge part of it. You go from one team to another, it takes time and it takes a lot of time to get done and or or sometimes it takes more than a whole season for some guys. So to expect it to happen in the month and a half that remains after a trade deadline, that's why it feels and always has felt more unlikely that a move could happen between now and March 8th. But if I could be the um, devil's advocate here, as I see what you did there. Unlikely as it might seem that you can get a goaltender assimilated into your system and comfortable with the way you defend in time for a playoff run, I, I think there's other teams around the league that are starting to feel that it's just as unlikely that the guys that they had hoped would be the answer for them between the pipes are going to be capable of getting them to where they want to go in the spring. And you and I have talked about Jacob Markstrom and his potential on the trade market for a while. And I think the one place that you and I haven't probably necessarily seen eye to eye on it is when it could happen. I know you're uh, most likely in the summer guy. And I just think that your value for Jacob Markstrom and the way other teams are going to value him is probably going to be the highest right now. And that's not just because he was the NHL's player of the week or first star of the week today. I think there's teams that are looking at the possibility of letting one of the years in their competitive window go sailing past because of bad goaltending. Like and like New Jersey. Like New Jersey. And so that's the that's I guess just the opposite side of it is well, yeah, it's hard for a goalie to to change teams in March at the trade deadline and, and be a difference maker. You know, the one that immediately pops to mind is, is remember several years ago, the hullabaloo about Ryan Miller, Ryan Miller yep. trading places at the deadline like that. That didn't work out at all. And, and it's certainly possible if Jacob Markstrom is switching jerseys in the next few weeks that it becomes a similar scenario and he doesn't settle in as quickly as he'd like to. But you know, if you're the New Jersey Devils, let's just keep using that same example because we know there's been some interest or some overtures there. I mean, if you're the New Jersey Devils, you're looking at a potential opportunity, whether that's an opportunity to win something or, or even to get into the playoffs, you're looking at an opportunity going just sailing right past you because you're getting awful goaltending. Well, and to that point, I do think you can make the argument that if New Jersey's looking at this year, it's probably a lost season, probably not going to get in, but we could use the remainder of the year to have Jacob acclimate to our group and be ready to go and, and that much more comfortable to start the season. You could make that argument for me, and it's an argument that I'd be like, yeah, no, that makes a ton of sense. That's a good counterpoint to what I'm talking about. 
um, and would also get them that much closer probably to seeing if they could sneak in this year. Listen to this. This was uh, So Elliot Friedman gave the report on Saturday on Saturday headlines and then added to it in the latest 32 Thoughts. Came out Monday morning. It's available wherever you get your podcast. Here's a little bit more, a little bit more detail from Elliot on where things are with the Flames, Devils, Jacob Markstrom, and more. I just heard it got pretty serious. Um you know, I've talked before on this pod about how the Flames have, I believe, only kept money once. And I think that was David Riddick to Toronto. And that was a, a deal that had no term. So, again, I, I think the surest predictor of future events is past events. So, teams know that the Flames are not crazy about this, right? So, I do believe that is a major hurdle and was probably the major hurdle. And I think the package was, I think they were closer on that. I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think they were closer on that. It was, they weren't, it wasn't perfect, but I heard the retention was the much bigger problem, the much bigger problem. And like I had people telling me it's, it's fallen apart. It's over, but I don't know that. I, I don't like to say that because I've learned in this business that just because something is true one day doesn't mean it's true the next day. But I do think the devils are looking at other possibilities now. So that's a little bit more from Elliot on 32 thoughts came out Monday morning, available wherever you get your podcast with Elliot and Jeff Merrick. There is an absolute heap of Flames talk in there. Flames talk on 32 Thoughts, huh? Uh, they're, they're like just the amount of Flames info. There's probably, I don't know, a good 12 or 13 minutes dedicated to the Flames on 32 Thoughts. Uh, it starts at about the, once the ads get inserted, probably around the 26, 27 minute mark is where you're going to be looking for the Flames stuff. It is great and, and must listen stuff from Elliot and Jeff on, on Monday's 32 Thoughts. So maybe maybe it does still happen this year. Maybe it doesn't. It, it has always felt like an off-season thing for me, more just because of maybe you have some more suitors in there as opposed to just New Jersey. But you could pretty easily convince me that it makes a lot of sense for New Jersey to, to pull the trigger now. Now, I do want to say that the retention thing is interesting to me as well because – I do believe that as of right now, going towards the trade deadline, and what Elliot's point is, is valid, that there has not been a lot of salary retention in the past for the Flames. But from what I understand, I, I, I believe the Flames and Craig Conroy have full use of their three retention slots going into the trade deadline. And I think, obviously, it's probably more desirable if it's just the remainder of the season in retaining. Um, but I do believe that Conroy does have carte blanche in a lot of ways to do what it needs to needs to be done. And I think if it is very clear that a deal is going to be better for this team long-term, if salary retention is involved, my belief is that, that they're able to retain and use their three re remaining retention slots. Um, and, and I also believe part of why retention has been such a sticking point in some of these deals that have or have not happened, Wes, is because I think Craig is, is playing hardball on it. Like, yeah, if you want us to retain, you better pay us. Yeah, and I think that's a really important standard to set. We're not just going to do a favor for you and keep a bunch of dead money on our cap, whether it's for the rest of the year or not. We might say on the outside that, oh, well, they don't care. But they do care, and they should care. Like, extract the price from that as well. And I think that's what Craig Conroy is doing in a lot of ways is 
you know what? Instead, if you don't want to ret- if, if if you don't want to pay for retention, then throw Kuzmenko in in the deal, and we'll we'll go about it that way. Or if you don't want, then then we'll make this deal with another team who isn't you know needing retention, like the Zadorov trade. Toronto's not willing to pay the price for retention, then we'll send Zadorov to Vancouver. And so I think not only does Craig have the ability to do it, but I also think that he's putting a high price on retention and and using that as leverage and good on him as he should. Yeah, because those spots are valuable and and I certainly have the same sense that you do in terms of their willingness to retain salary. You know, I was struck after the Nikita Zadorov trade, you know, chatting with Craig Conroy 15 minutes or whatever after that got done on the way down to the Saddledome for a game that night. I, I remember being struck by the fact that he mentioned keeping a retention spot several times. And then I heard your interview with him, which would have happened around the same time, again, mentioned the retention spots several times. And so those spots, I do think, are are in play. You know, we were talking about a Flames ownership group that has, in recent memory, always been willing to spend to the cap. And that's simply part of spending to the cap is being yeah. willing to sometimes pay for a player who's not on your roster anymore. So I do believe those are in play, but... I can't ec- echo what you said loud enough. Like the, those have value and they have a ton of value with how close teams are to the cap. So to still have three is great a- as you near the deadline, but to demand that, hey, there there's a significant cost. You know, us retaining half of that salary is not going to be just part of how we get a deal done. We're the we're the team that has the guy that you want to trade for. And if you want us to pay half his salary, whether that's for the rest of this season or going into the future, and it doesn't always have to be half, it can be another number. If you want us to essentially handle that that service, if you want a loan, you know, if you want to mortgage a loan on this player, yep. it's gonna cost you something. And that's the way it should be. Hundred percent. And that's why that's why I say, like, I, I don't think there's a, an inability or any handcuffs on Conroy to use retention slots. I think he's got the ability. Yeah. If it's going to make a deal better, if it's going to get the best deal to the finish line, then and, and you're going to get the assets that you deserve for going down the retention road, then I think he absolutely has the check mark to be able to do it from from the higher ups uh, from from everything that I am am led to believe from everything I understand there's there's no restrictions on that but they're not going to use them just for the sake of using them they're they're going to use them if they're going to be able to get assets for them it's like it's like another asset in the deal is using that salary retention you're giving another team a hand to take your player from you so you should get compensated for that as well I don't want to take us too far off the Jacob Markstrom talk, but I I was just thinking about this earlier today and and thinking about it again. You know, if, if you're a Calgary Flames fan and and you look at the Elias Lindholm deal and you listen to what we're hearing about Craig Conroy in terms of retention and and what he's demanding, be a part of that. I got to tell you, I think the Flames general manager is doing a a darn good job already. And we're going to have a bigger picture view of that on, on March 8th. And, you know, what did he get potentially for Chris Hannafin? And, and what did he get potentially again for, sorry, did I say Chris Hannafin? Now I'm, did, now I'm combining I bring the it up. free agents. I keep calling him Noah Finn, So Yeah. You know the two guys. I think we've mentioned who the two defensemen that might get traded are. We're going to have a bigger picture talk about that after March 8th. But 
I think if you're a Flames fan, there's a lot of reason to be encouraged about the way Craig Conroy has handled his business in his first year as a rookie. Well, GM. and and I I was talking to uh, a couple people around the league and and about this earlier today, and that is I think. Craig is setting a standard for the rest of the league in terms of how he's going to deal with things. He's got his price. The minute that you hit his price, he's going to pull the trigger on a deal like we saw with Lindholm. You know, he said, okay, we got our price from Vancouver. Let's go back to a few of the other teams. We've heard that they used the Rangers for a little bit of leverage, went back to Vancouver, maybe got a little bit more. Bam, done the deal. Uh, Lindholm's a member of the Canucks. So he holds out for his price, but he doesn't then keep holding out. When he hits that internal target, he then goes forward with the deal. And so I think that's an important uh, uh, standard to set. I think with the way he's using his retention slots, I think that's an important standard to set. And I also think he's going to set a really important standard as we move towards the trade deadline. Because I fully believe that he may have the prices that he'd like for Tanev and Hannafin. And and I still think there's a good chance he's going to get them. A very good chance. But say that he doesn't, he's still willing to make a deal come the deadline and not waste an asset. I, I really believe that if Noah Hannafin isn't signed, but they don't hit exactly what they want, he'll still take the best deal between now and March 8th and won't waste an asset. You know, and, and I think that part of the Brian Burke philosophy of, you know, setting a standard around the league and we're not going to take pennies on the dollar. I think there's something to that, but I also think in the situation Craig's in right now, I don't think he's got that luxury. I, and as difficult as totally it might agree. be, I, I don't think he has the ability to, no, we're not trading him because we didn't get what we want. You still have to be willing to make the deal, even if you don't quite get exactly what you want, which I still think they're going to. I really do. But, and I think the Markstrom conversation is a perfect example of why. Nope, we're not just doing it for the sake of doing it. You hit our price or he stays with us. And so I think he still will, but I think when there is a deadline, like there will be on Tanev and Hannafin, I still think he'll make the deal if he has to. So give me your gut here, buddy. On on Monday, February 12th, are we talking about Jacob Markstrom and the New Jersey Devils again over the next three, three I bet and a half you they, weeks? I bet you they double back at least once. Yeah. You, you've convinced me that with this particular one anyway, the ability to bring him in now, even though they're probably not going to make the playoffs, the ability for him to help them the rest of the year but then get acclimated for the rest of the, the two years on his contract, yeah, I bet they double back at least once. Now, whether or not they're willing to hit the target and pay the – you're talking about two retention years on top of this year. Right. That the, so they better pay a hefty price. If that That's going to cost them a lot. And if they're not willing to do it, then Craig still shouldn't make the deal. But if all of a sudden they're like, damn it, we need this guy – okay, we'll add in that other first-round pick or we'll add in that prospect or whatever the hell it might be that it costs. I bet they double back at least once between now and the deadline. Well, and it, I guess two things. Let me start with the retention. Like, you can also, you can tinker with the amount being retained and in the For sense sure. of... Doesn't you know, have to be exactly half the entire way Yeah, through. like we always talk about half. Well, if that meant retaining you know, 3 million on, on one year salary. And I realize it's, it's not exactly that because some of it has been paid out. But if you take what you are willing to retain and, and perhaps then look to spread it over three years or increase it and spread it over three years, I think there might be some potential middle ground there. And, you know, the other thing I'd say is maybe the biggest thing is how the New Jersey Devils play over the next little bit. Cause as we sit here today, they're six points out of the wild card, but 
with a game in hand and only one team to jump over to get into ninth and then one more into eighth. We're talking about the Red Wings and the Islanders. So not, you know, not, not juggernaut, not juggernauts. And so if the New Jersey Devils can make a six point deficit into a three point deficit in the week leading up to the deadline, you know, that you can look at that roster and I, I get that there's been some significant injuries on their blue line, but you can look at that roster, I think, and convince yourself that if we could get in, especially if we could get in and have much better goaltending, we still might be able to do some damage. So that's the Jacob Markstrom. Let me throw one more thing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What are the chances that that serious conversation about Markstrom was spin off or addition to another player? We talk about the, you know, they need help on the I blue line very, in New Jersey. Very likely that that could be because I believe New Jersey's got eyes on Tanev and Hannafin too. Yeah, and so do I. And so I think we're going to hear more about. Tom Fitzgerald and Craig Conroy doing business over the next few weeks for sure. And all of this comes as Jacob Markstrom's the NHL's first star of the week. Yeah. He'll start again against the New York Rangers on Monday night. This past week, he went three for three in net with a 2.0 goals against and a 939 save percentage. No, as- no goals for though. No, tried though. He <laughs> made a valiant <laughs> effort. Gave it, a, gave it his all. And one ended up in the back of his net as a result yeah. of it. Did pick up some more assists, though, including a primary assist. Couple so. helpers. Yeah, you know. Yeah. He's chipping and all over the place. Uh, worth noting, with a victory tonight, he would be tied with Tommy Salo for second most among Swedish netminers. Yep. And, and what I think is cool about that part of it is that it would happen in Madison Square Garden, where he, like, if you've ever talked to Jacob Marstrom about Henrik Lundqvist, he has such reverence for King Henrik and what he did in the NHL and and what he did throughout his career. And so, you know, being in that building, we talk about this with a bunch of different guys, but MSG means something for sure to Jacob Markstrom. Um, And the numbers are finally starting to catch up with him. Like even the, the less important, if you will, kind of raw numbers, Less important, but the more on the surface numbers, he's now up to a 915 save percentage. He's now what uh, four games above 500 on his record. So some of the the traditional numbers are catching up because in October and November we were talking about how well this guy was playing, but the numbers on the surface didn't necessarily tell that story. Yeah, now they are, which is good. Puts him as one of the league's best goaltenders in the save percentage category. But it's the more traditional numbers that continue to blow you out of the water. So just a few of these numbers. Non-traditional numbers. So yeah, non-traditional numbers. Yeah. Underlying metrics. Analytics, if you will. Fancy stats, not, if not you an, would. Not an Eric Francis analytics. Well, goal saved and, and <laughs> goal saved and shots against. And, no, Eric, those aren't analytics. We had a good laugh about that a few weeks ago. Um, on At Money Puck. He is fourth overall in goals saved above expected. 15.7 goals saved by Jacob compared to uh, what the expected is. So that's like they should have scored, uh, opponents should have scored 16 more goals on the Flames when Jacob's been a net by their model. Only Connor Hellebuck, Thatcher, Demko, Aiden Hill are better. Uh, He also is 2.62 wins above expected, which means Jacob single-handedly per this model has given them almost three wins this season, uh, which is also fourth behind those three goaltenders. That's at Money Puck. At Evolving Hockey, they've got a slightly different goal saved above expected. He is 
30 goals saved above expected over at Evolving Hockey. That's number one. And at Natural Stat Trick, he has the second best high danger save percentage at five on five at 887. Only Aiden Hill is better. And at all strengths, he's at 870 behind Big Save Dave, of all guys, in uh, L.A. Nice shutout the other night. uh, I didn't mind that one specifically. (laughs) Um, And Aiden Hill as well. So he's five on five, number two in high danger save percentage. All strengths, number three. Point is, whether he stays with the Flames beyond March 8th or not, I firmly believe Jacob Markstrom should be in the Vesna Trophy conversation. He has been that good this year, and he's just getting better. And finally, some of the -the on-the-surface numbers are starting to catch up. Now, I don't think he will be a finalist just because of the noise around Demko, and and rightfully so. Mm -hmm. And and I think that Aiden Hill's going to get some love. Hellebuck is obviously going to be there. He may not be a finalist, but I think when the GMs are having the conversation, because they're the ones who vote on the Vesna, I think he should be getting a lot of love with how well he's played. Yeah, and what a lot of GMs do is ask their goaltending coaches or or their goaltending department if they have one, and there's definitely a lot of love in that community for Jacob Markstrom, for the way he's bounced back. Their analytics certainly will, will show what an impact he's had on the Calgary Flames. You know, the one thing that sticks out to me is how many times, Pat, last year did we sit here and talk about not just the goals against, but the timing of those goals against. And it's the timeliness of the saves, especially going back to his injury absence in December. But even before that, like we're talking about a guy who is coming up with saves at times that can really change the course of a game. You know, we can even go back through this road trip and, and look at saves, whether it was early in Boston or whatever you want to point to that if that puck goes in the back of the net, we might be talking about a totally different game. And for that reason, whether he's in that Vesna conversation or not, you said it earlier, he has been the undisputed MVP for this Flames team this season. Yeah. And he just probably continues to, I guess, further the divide between him and the next guy. It, it's just a bigger gap now between him and whether it's, Mackenzie Weger or Blake Coleman or whoever you think that yep. the runner-up for team MVP is, that race is not close. Yep. So look inside hockey on this Monday edition of Flames Talk. Inside hockey, as always, for Calgary Co-op. Flames fans, meet Cal and Gary. Top products curated for Calgarians, and we mean every single one of you. Only available at Calgary Co-op. Visit them today. You're locked on Flames Talk, only on Sportsnet 960 The Fan. It is time for the future of the Flames on this Monday edition of Flames Talk. It's brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech, fighting cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn more about how they intend to empower cancer patients, visit Oncolytics Biotech. Dot com. It's a Monday. Uh, we do future the Flames and say hello, as always, to the head coach of the Calgary Wranglers as Trent Cull joins us on the program right now. Trent, as, uh, as always, appreciate the uh, time, my friend. Um, and, and before we get into uh, the of late and, and your group coming out of the All-Star break, uh, I did want to, you know, it was a week ago we spoke with you. It was All-Star game day. You talked to us. Before you went out and coached Team Pacific at the All-Star Classic, now you're back. I just now that you've had a week to week or so to reflect on the entire experience. What was uh what was All-Star Weekend in San Jose like, my friend? 
Oh, it was, it was good. It was a, it was a really good experience. I mean, uh, great to kind of share it with with Wolfie and and you know with uh, Coronado and Matt. Like it was, uh, you know, it's it's funny how quick the two days, how quick they go by, right? So, but uh, but I enjoyed seeing the the skills. You know, looking at for us, we don't get a chance to see the other three divisions that much, right? So. I thought we, uh, it was nice to see some of the other players, and then uh, and then during the games and stuff, those were entertaining. I uh, <clears throat> I thought I wasn't going to be coaching too much, and I ended up pulling goalies and trying to do everything <laughs> else to win some hockey games. And uh, you know, as you get going, you just get into it, I guess. So, but no, I, I really enjoyed it. And your group won the whole shebang, which was uh, which was pretty cool. So yeah, you did uh, you did end up doing a a little bit more coaching than you thought. Hey, you were a little bit more dialed in. I guess you can't take the coach out of the coach, right? Yeah, you know, I mean, it was just, you know, first game we were kind of, you know, everybody's feeling their way through it a little bit. And then, uh, you know, then we ended up getting down. So we pulled the goal. We got a goal. So it was good. And then we went to a shootout and stuff. So I thought there was some, had some ties. And, and then uh, carried on the next game, we pulled the goalie. And then all of a sudden we uh, we got a goal as soon as, like, Wolfie got, had gotten to the bench. And and then in the last game, I was trying to share the time between the goalies and stuff. And so we had uh, Wolfie change on the fly to get out there and, and get in the net, which was kind of cool. So it was, uh, it was just, a, it was just a cool experience, you know. It was nice, like coach uh, having a little fun, and then having and sharing it with the players too. I thought it was, uh, it was kind of, it was just a really good, kind of cool vibe on the bench as the game was going on. So what, um, what's the adjustment like? Like how you go, you go from being there on Monday, you come back to Calgary, and and then you get ready for getting back to the to the grind of a season. What? Uh, how much of a whirlwind is it to go from that to right back into kind of the everyday grind? Well, yeah, I was just, uh, you know, I was, I was very happy to be part of it. I hadn't done that before. Um, but then also by the time you get home and you're like, boy, I'm going to take a day on my all-star break just to try to do nothing. And then you won't go back to work the next day. Right. So it was a quick turnaround, but, uh, and then especially with us, it's always, uh, you know, who's, what's our team going to look like from day to day, it feels like right now, right? So uh, just seeing how our team looked, who was going to be back, who was going to be available, and then heading into the two games with not the outcomes we wanted, that's for sure. Well, let's um, let's get to that, uh, and, and I'm, I'm curious as to just how you would uh, evaluate a, a couple of setbacks against uh, San Diego on Friday and, and Saturday. How do you look at uh, those two uh, tough outings for your group, Coach? Just, uh, I, I mean, I didn't like our first game back after the break. I didn't think we we uh, we were kind of still on break. I felt like you know we weren't working what we needed to be and, and competing, and then uh, and that was pretty much representative of the score of the game too. And then uh, you know, the next night, I thought we were, we had a good first period. Uh, you know, uh, we scored, scored a couple goals, which was good. Get ourselves back on track. That's you know a bit of an issue for us right now is finding a way to uh, produce offense, but. It's also tough for us to keeping that thing out of the net right now too. So it's uh, new guys though, and we're getting a lot of guys like uh, start of the year, maybe even guys that weren't playing or, or certainly not the minutes that they are being asked to play now. So with that comes the opportunity, right? So it's uh, you know some young guys. I think we had seven rookie forwards in our lineup alone, you know, over the weekend, like from game to game. So uh, we're asking a lot of them, but you know what? That's just kind of how it is for right now. What um, you know. 
you, you, we've talked a lot this year about some of the adversity your group is, has dealt with and, and the, the constant roster changeover that's, you know, maybe a little bit more than even you're used to at the, at the AHL level. It's been a, there's been a lot that's gone on with your group so far this year. But, but after these two and coming out of the break, like what, do, do you sense that the urgency level from your group is, is where you want it to be, Coach? Uh, I don't know if it's – I just think that, you know, it's sometimes we're asking, uh, I guess, guys to step into roles that maybe they haven't been ready to do, you know. And so now that it's being thrust upon them, right, whether they're ready or not. And, uh, and so that's a, it's kind of a cool thing. You're going to get a chance to play. You're going to get a chance maybe to play in different situations that you weren't doing in November or December. And so now – but that's part of the American Hockey League, right? I mean um, – there's going to be changes with your NHL club that affect our team, and, and that's happened, and, and we understand that. But like I said, I, I just feel like through that, that's opportunity, and, and it's, a, it's a really good time for guys to, to not shrink and to, and to try to blossom, you know, and I think that's up to each guy to, to take that upon themselves and make sure that, uh, you know, nothing's changed. Systems haven't changed. We're still a good team. You know, we still know we can win hockey games. We win periods. Now it's just getting guys in those situations that know that they have to bring it for the 60 minutes and uh, and take advantage of the, of the opportunity. Well, and, and that 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 what you bring up right there, Coach. That that's got to be like that's the development mandate of the Wranglers, right? Like that's the that's the other side of it. Wins and losses are always important, but getting these guys in situations that maybe they haven't been in before and giving that opportunity that's that's a big part of the the whole development side of this thing, isn't it? And that's and that's what we're you know tasked to do, right? I mean, uh, you know, you, you talked to me a couple months ago, and we're sitting on top of the division, and I'm loving life, right? And we're doing like some great things, and uh, and we have a great hockey, a great hockey team. And so now it's just like we say, sometimes this is what happens. Not every team is in the same uh, situation as us with maybe their NHL team, but that's how it is for right now at Calgary. And and but like I said, it's it's not a bad thing. It's it's not only the, the guys that maybe weren't playing as much with us before are getting more ice time, but it's also those guys that have been around for a little while with the organization who are the next call-up. And, uh, you know, if they play well and do a good job. We're chatting with uh, Trent Cull, head coach. Or the next guy going to play for the Flames. Right, absolutely. Sorry, you cut out there. Didn't mean to cut you off there. We uh, just dropped you for a second on the cell phone, so was not trying to, to talk over you, Coach. That is uh, Trent Cull. He's joining us uh, as he does every Monday here on Flames Talk. The future of the Flames and the head coach of the Wranglers is with us. It's Pat Steinberg and Wes Gilbertson on this hour of Flames Talk, Wes. Trent, I just want to pick up on, on what you were just saying, and I'm curious, when guys get that opportunity, you know, maybe it's power play time, maybe it's just getting into the lineup, when those young guys at your level are getting opportunity that maybe hadn't been there, knowing what's at stake for them as they try to further their career, how do you, how do you kind of coach them through those moments? I think, it's, I think it's one of those things that if your work and your uh, consistency of of bringing that work ethic and compete level, there's going to be mistakes. There's going to be situations that, uh, and I just said this to the group today, there, there might be days that we lose a game, but, but I'll, I'll be okay with that if we're working, you know, working our butts off and, and competing, you know, and I just, but I feel like right now we're doing that in spurts and I'm talking about the group, but I'm uh, staying thing. I think it goes for the, the younger guys that you're talking about. But this is an opportunity to put together that full 60 minutes and then the 120 minutes, so it's a back-to-back games, right? So that's the thing that uh, 
you know, it's, when you, my experience is coaching and players have played in the NHL now, like what it is, is they consistently bring what they do well every night to the table. And what you'd have at the American League is you'll get guys who are up and down with that consistency level. And that's kind of where they are until they develop and, and groom themselves and mature and get, become better hockey players, I guess you'd say. So it's just, it's just a constant battle of positive reformation, and, but also, hey, man, you got to do better sometimes too, right? So we, uh, We've seen it a few times this year, and you always see it at the AHL level. You know, the most recent example I can think of is Friday night, I believe, you know, Matthew Wedman signs a PTO with the Wranglers. Saturday scores his first goal on behalf of your team. You know, I, I think it was Mark Rassel, uh, a player with lots of local links before that. I'm, I'm curious, you know, at the NHL level, we have this assumption that when a, a team adds a new player, there's, you know, pages and pages of scouting reports ready from the pro staff. And, and you kind of go down the list. What what happens at your level when you add a new player, whether that's a PTO, whether it's maybe an ECHL call-up? What what happens at your level when you bring a new guy into the fold? Well, it's pretty much uh, when he lands, like I do none of the, that, that's, you know, good question for Brad on the scouting and, and bringing those guys in. And Our pro scouts watch all of the hockey, and so they have a, an idea, like you said, and they have a rating, and they, they've talked about certain uh, players, and so does Brad. Uh, he knows that as well. So, but once they arrive to us, it's, uh, hey, man, like, it's, it's great to see you. Thanks for coming. And then we give them a cruise course on what we're doing with systems, and it's usually under the gun, like time uh, constraints. We played that, uh, you know, the next day he got in the, on Friday, the game that we played, he came in that, uh, that morning, so we had a chance to talk to him, set him up for the game, and then just kind of let them get out there and push them out and, you know, do the best you can, you know. And that's what I always say in the sense of, like, work hard, compete hard, and anything else that comes along, just ask questions as we move, and, and we're good, right? So you know, I think sometimes what you get is the same thing that happens when you call guys up for the American League to the NHL. Like, you get that bump in energy early. You get that, you know, that little, uh, like, guys are just jacked up to be here. And so, uh, and that's what you saw. Here's a guy who didn't end up playing that many minutes in the second period because a power plays and penalty kills that were going on. And he gets a chance in the third period, wins a big face-off, so good job on him. He works his way to the net and, and gets rewarded. So I was happy for him. It uh, it wasn't too long ago we were watching Adam Klapka kind of throwing his weight around and, and his sizable frame in his first four games at the, the NHL level. What have been your impressions in terms of, you know, what what's Adam maybe learned? What, what has a, a taste of the NHL done? And, and what have you seen from him as he's now reintegrated with your group? Yeah, and you know, you know, I think uh, it's tough to really. Uh, we just kind of lost, and we lost well, whatever you want to say, two games in a row, right? So, I don't know if you know. You always look as individuals don't look as as good as you normally would when your team loses, and you know, sometimes when you're when you're winning, everybody, it's it's more of a positive outlook, right? So, but I think that with Clapper, like. He's been a big guy. It seems like our group was tired after the break. Um, you know, and I think he was part of that a little bit too. And he'd had a lot of travel and, and running around with the NHL and coming back to us and coaching Valley and then, you know, traveling home, et cetera, right? So we've been on the road for 10 games before or 10 days before, sorry. But uh, so I think he's come back. I really like this game the second night. You know, just uh, I just I find that when Adam is playing more simple at our level, it more adheres to his what he's going to do at the NHL level as well. And uh, when he does that, he's playing simple, straight lines, being a good four-checker. 
good things usually come to him, and uh, he's a good net front presence, right? He's been on our power play, and we need to stick with that and continue with that because uh, our power play is going to come around here sooner or later. It's just not hitting yet, that's for sure. Just a couple more for you, Trent. Uh, it's Trent Call, head coach of the Wranglers. He joins us Mondays. I, I do, you know, we, we've seen Cole Schwintz up with the group right now, and, and Adam Klapko is up. He just came back. Matt Coronado's been up. We know that it's been that type of year, but every time a guy comes up, we hear them talk about how everyone in that Wranglers room is fired up because they know the next opportunity might be theirs. From from your standpoint as the coach of the Wranglers, how how does that translate to your group? How does that translate on the ice for you? That you know, that just a little bit of added motivation knowing that there there is real opportunity in this organization right now. Uh, well, there sure is, right? I mean, it's uh, and I, I think that's not like I just had a talk today and reminded our group about that, you know, and we talked about it. I think we started talking about this maybe about a month ago, you know, and uh, and just with some of the transactions that were happening, et cetera. And so I think it's I think it's the way I look at it, too, it's great fuel for the individual. And if individuals are playing better hockey for our group, that helps our team. And if that's helping our team, then that's doing the right things for the organization, right? So I think that's just... And it's just an added bonus. Not only can you have a good week or two in the American Hockey League and play some really good hockey for the Wranglers and help us win some games, but then you might get rewarded with a call from it because you never know what's happening around the corner with the team. You never know what's happening with injuries, etc. So, and I just said that again today. Like, just I think this is just make sure like this is on your radar. It's right there. And sometimes I think as players, you have to be reminded about that that opportunity because sometimes you just get stuck in the day-to-day of what's what's right in front of you in the American League. But man, it'd be a great, a great uh, I guess, you know, just a, what a cookie that would be to play some good hockey over the next two weeks and then get, get yourself called up and play for the Flames. And a final question for you, and, and we really do appreciate the time, as always, Trent. I, I do I, I do want to ask this on, on the way out, and, and you know, year one for you in the Flames organization, but you uh, spent a good chunk of time in the Canucks organization and were with the big team last season. Um, I Andre Kuzmenko has been a hit so far for the Flames, uh, and Flames fans love the positivity. They love the smile. They love the the infusion he's brought inside the locker room. You were uh, you were with Andre last year in his 39 goal season with the Canucks. I'm just Eddie. Uh, anything you can add to the the Kuzmenko conversation about the type of player the Flames are are getting right now? No, it's good, you know, because he's uh, he's not only like. I don't think he's the fastest guy in the world, but he's, he's got a good sense of, you know, when to get open and when to find those open lanes and he'll take off and all of a sudden find himself on a breakaway. But, you know, he's an underrated passer too. You know, like, I mean, he can make some nice plays. And so he may not be flying around the ice, but you give him the puck, he's usually a pretty good puck protection kind of guy, especially in the O zone. You know, I think that's where he flourishes. But, uh, and you know, same thing that he's having the opportunity to play with good players last year. He's going to have the opportunity to do that here with the Calgary Flames, and it's nice to see him. You know, off to a great start, and I think the Flames are playing really well. It's nice to see those guys come back after the break. And, and like you said, like one thing about Kuzi, he's a he's a happy kid. You know, he's got a big smile on his face. He wants to be part of it. He wants to he wants to find success. He wants to have success. So I think that's a good thing to have in your locker room, and good thing to have kind of uh, contagious around the, the guys. Um, that's, I'm a little myself right now with that throw I got going here. <laughs> that's, that's, that's what I was gonna say. We, I feel awful now. We've asked you too many questions. Let, let your uh, 
let your voice rest. I know you got a couple of games tomorrow and uh, on Wednesday against Manitoba. So uh, thanks for doing this, Trent. Really appreciate the time. Good luck against the Moose this week, hey, and uh, we'll catch up with you next week. Thank you so much for the time, as always. Awesome, guys. Thank you. Talk to you guys soon. Will do. Trent Cole, head coach of the Calgary Wranglers. He joins us every Monday. Uh, some insight there on Klapka and the, the mood inside the dressing room. Some adversity the Wranglers are facing for, you know, like this first time all year. They've dropped down to number four in the division. Um, they've, they are, they're a ravaged group right now, but they're still competing. They're still working. See what they can do. They need these wins against Manitoba uh, coming up on Tuesday and Wednesday at the Dome. Yeah, absolutely. This is the uh, the first sort of extended swoon we've we've seen out of the Flames Farm Club in their stretch in Calgary. I think it's two seven one now in their past ten. I I know it's easy for us to look from the outside and and explain it with all the the call ups. You know, look at all the players that they don't have at their disposal because they're with the Calgary Flames. Add in missing a few key veteran guys right now due to injuries, but. I know Trent Cole won't let that fly inside the locker room, and I'd imagine he's going to have that uh, that group buzzing Tuesday and Wednesday against the Jets farm team. That's our look at the future of the Flames, brought to you by Oncolytics Biotech, fighting cancer by unleashing the power of the immune system. To learn more about how they use a patient's immune system to battle cancer, visit oncolyticsbiotech.com. As we start to wrap up this hour on Flames Talk, thank you, sir. Wes Gilbertson's on Twitter, at Wes Gilbertson. Thank you, sir. Enjoy the game tonight. You as well. Talk to you on Tuesday. Thanks to Cam and Shan, our producers this hour. And that'll wrap us up this hour on the Sports Drive. Brought to you by Calgary Lock and Safe. Simplify your life with a security ecosystem. Go to calgarylockandsafe.com to request a security audit and get a tailored solution.